Here we go. Hey there, folks. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello. Hey, good morning, good morning. Good morning. Where do I want to report live from today? I haven't been back here in a while. I decided to to take you to my real actual background. Oh, my real Ooh. actual background is uh, <laughs> fairly. What do we What do we got there though? We got um, some action figures. Oh yes, let let me introduce you. I have. Ooh. If I can do this without tripping over cords. <laughs> okay, we have the everything is fine dog, which ah. I was very amused to receive as a present. <laughs> I need that dog. And we have the one, the only Biggie. Biggie. <laughs> and uh, somewhere around the corner here, I also have uh, my short lived WWE buddy, uh, Tommaso Ciampa, who um, I'm not a big wrestling fan, but I've decided I can collect and give money to. Uh, Friends who've made it big enough in the industry to have their own action figures. So I'm like, I've got to buy Is that. A friend of yours, Tommaso? Yeah. I've never heard of, but I also. Yeah, he did a short WWE stint and has moved uh, back to next. He's like the heel that everyone loves. Nice. I know what all those words means, which is even more impressive. Um, cool. <laughs> I'm familiar with next. I know what the heel is. It's awesome. And yeah. It is helpful, however, if we let our guests know that they're being recorded before we... Uh... Yeah, that's true. Ah, I, I see the red light. All all good. Yeah. I, I think I, I just... should officially introduce myself, too. Uh, good to see you, Gabe. Uh, good to meet you, Cam. Uh, Lodrina Cherney. My mic good? Yeah, that sounds good. How does this sound? Am I coming in clear? That works. I do have to say, too, Ladrina, <laughs> you have the perfect podcast slash NPR voice. Like, mm-hmm. it is, yeah, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. We do get a lot of guests on with some really good voice, but this is by far one of the best. Awesome. I think it also, it also helps to have a nice microphone, too. That makes mm-hmm. everybody sound a lot better. This is so. true. Awesome. Hopefully it doesn't change too much as I drink my coffee. I just uh, realized a few minutes ago that we have this nice uh, keg of cold brew on the porch. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is high test stuff. So you're about to get all jacked up on it. Yeah, I'm ready. I got my I got my Duncan. So and I already had this is like my second. (laughs) I I have this. I have this coffee. Yeah, that's good. It's not good. Have you guys? <laughs> it's not good. Don't encourage. Have you guys me. heard of? Um, if you're coffee people, I know you're tea people, Gabe. It's, you know, it's still good people. Well, but <laughs> there's a coffee I drink that's called. Um, what is it called? It's um, Death. It's called uh, the something Death. It's 
supposed to be oh, like the like blackest black like mm-hmm. yeah. it's really not that it's not i think it's more marketing it's it's strong and it's good it's dark it's good but it's it's like probably two cups of coffee i can't imagine it's any different than getting like americano like strength wise that's what i <clears throat> i don't feel any difference from like a shots of espresso but it's, it's strong it's good Ladrina, I don't know if we mentioned it also before. Maybe we did, maybe don't. I, I totally track of these things. But if there are, you know, kind of passion topics that you have, I want to lean into those. Like you, you bring them up and it doesn't genuinely matter um, how closely they are or aren't aligned. Um, you know, as long as it's not just like completely random, like, you know. Oh, yeah. We, like, we why can. Why do dog's toes smell like Fritos, right? Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, we can cover it. The answer is bacteria. But anyway. <laughs> oh, we, we can talk about my pancakes con talk coming up, but I, yes. I won't spoil all, all the fun. Ooh, I didn't know that. Uh, you know what? I dropped out of the I dropped out of the yeah. Slack chat. Now you're going to make me reload it. When is that? We do have to talk about that. Ooh, I think it's in two weeks. So I, I can do a, a good like, hey, so I'm, I'm speaking at, at this thing and whether it yes. comes out or not before then. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I'm cool. in the, are, are they still using the same Slack channel this year? It looks like I just joined it for the first time and I see a ton of people already in there. I see so stuff. Must be. Yes, I do. Wow. Look at me. I completely missed everything. I see Leslie was asking for organizers <laughs> last month and I just, I didn't, it just like, beep, there it is. Um, oh, can, can we start things off by figuring out which one of us is on the most Slack spaces? I mean, just that you offered that challenge, it's probably you. I can tell you my answer, though. 12. I'm, oh. I miss Slack. I miss Slack so much. Is it, is it, there's no way you have less than 12. Come on. I, I think I might have less than 12. Not by much. I might be like 10 or 11. See, mine aren't all security related, though. So I've got a bunch of security ones. But then I also have uh, some, like, local ones, like the Local Developers Guild. Um, and then I also have a bunch of product-related ones. So, yeah, for that reason alone, it's kind of expansive. And the product-related ones are very heavily trafficked. So there's, like, four of them. I'm looking at them on my other screen here. There's thousands of people all over. And they're, they are quite useful, to be honest, too. So, um Wow, I would have, I would have thought for sure you would have beat me on that one. So, All well, right. here's the follow-up question: yes. Is how many of them have channels for sharing pictures of your pets? Oh, the answer is not nearly enough. We have some of those. We have some of those internally here. Yeah, yeah. The answer is not th- nearly enough. I think that's the thing that I am the most proud of is in my work Slack spaces. There's a couple places that I've started a fuzzy friends channel where people nice. can post all their little fur babies. I feel like that's something I want to put on my resume or on LinkedIn. You should. I would, I would, I would not only endorse that, I would get on board with that and do it also so that people don't like think it's weird. Like, yeah, no, see, everyone's doing it. Obviously look at these thought leaders. Leading the thought train on the fur babies, you're you're all late. <laughs> even even when it's uh, forbidden to put your own personal picture on a resume, you can. I think it's okay to put the fur babies, just a picture of your fur babies on your resume. Is it forbidden? To I mean, that doesn't make people do it. Uh, I've, never I've, about I've it. heard that it's it's kind of cheesy, Is but it? I guess it just depends. I don't know. Maybe the industry depends. 
I think only ugly people say that. <laughs> well, the, the problem is, is I think it's the whole thing about using your picture as something to get uh, more recognition. If you do look good or something, I don't know. <laughs> Hey, That's just something. Let's bring back ASCII art. Let's right. just like. I'm trying to get every leg <laughs> up I can out here. I'm not going to let all that go to waste. Just, just like two hours of prep for this in the morning. By the way, none. All right, so we got to get into this. Let's get into this. This is good. This is all good material. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host Cameron Ivy, and with me, as always, Mr. Gabe Gums. Gabe, how you doing today? It's Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday all day. Indeed it is. I'm doing well. How are you? It's Friday, as Fri-yay. the cool kids say. That is what they say. I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. I use it, but part of me is like, eh, but I use it. But I'm like, eh. It's Friday. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not mad at them. I like it. I do it's feel Fri-yay. a little wrong. I feel like um, I'm out of my uh, realm when I say Friday. But yeah. we digress. Anyways, we have a wonderful guest with us, Ladrina Cherney. Uh, she's from uh, Cyber Reason, Principal Security Advocate. Ladrina, welcome to the show. Yeah, happy Friday. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, why don't you open the show up? We'd like to do this with with all our new guests um, and just tell the listeners a little bit about where you came from and how you got to where you are. Oh, wow. We're, we're going to start way back. Okay, let's do this. So my name's Lodrina Cherney. I've never met another Lodrina So if it takes folks a few times when I first meet you, totally understandable. Uh, You know, my name came from, there's there's a good story, actually. My father's from Poland in the town Lodz. So that's spelled L-O-D-Z. And my Mm -hmm. mother's name is Davina. So my name is actually a combination of the city my father was born in and my mother's name. Now, fortunately, it's, it's not like... My mother's maiden name, or you all would be stealing and resetting all my passwords now. But uh, that's the story. That certainly helps when you file, you know, Freedom of Information Act requests, as well as uh, right to be forgotten requests. It's like, ah, no, we know where all of her data is because there's there's the one. So we we know exactly where all of it is. Exactly. (laughs) You know, and, and it kind of. It helps it it helps and hurts you know i'm one of these kids who is the first generation of kids to grow up online like was trying to dial into aol back in the day and let's let's just say of that era so i've always been conscious knowing that i have this really unique name about what's out there about me online and where my data goes and i kind of grew up with this privacy consciousness um just because of what my name is so it's awesome it's good to hear that I have a very unscientific uh, amount of data that suggests that folks like yourself that did grow up just in that cusp, like just old enough to to have been on the internet early, but just young enough that we didn't know all the rules to be none of that. I, I, I feel like more of those people, and I say this because I'm equally one of those, had a different respect for their privacy. I've, I had never used my real name in any of my old handles ever, dating back as far as when I was, you know, 11 or 12 years old and on IRC, on AOL, etc. That's not a thing anymore. Everyone just wants to shove their name in stuff. I don't know what that's about. When did handles stop being cool? For sure. That's, that's a good question. 
Someone's gonna t- someone's gonna write in the show and they're gonna be like, handles are still cool. Sign zero cool. There's there's a whole book about that, and here it is, and I wrote yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I I would love to read that. I'm a super huge like cyber history buff. In fact, because uh, we're chatting on video, you might be able to see a pile of books behind me. I just unpacked uh, all of my cybersecurity mm-hmm. and history books, and I have a couple of books from you know, the early days of the internet and some books back from uh, even before I was born and things that are really historic artifacts of the computer age that I just absolutely love, adore, like want to figure out if I should get insurance on them and put them in a safe deposit box. Like they're really, really neat things that I enjoy reading, especially when we talk about stuff like cryptography, but that's a whole nother can of worms. It most certainly is. Oh man, this, I'm not going to derail this conversation any further, but I will put a pin in this and say, we need to chat offline about this topic in particular, because it's been on my brain the last, well, until you just reminded me a, a few weeks ago, I had this, I had this thought around this that I wanted to explore some more. And now you've signed yourself up for danger. So I'm going to, I'm going to send you a message on that one after that. Back to the show. I was one of these kids who was lucky enough to grow up in the Bay Area during the first dot-com boom. So to me, I was always interested in computers. And by the way, I was always interested in security, like computers and security and uh, you know privacy going along with that are things that I was always interested in. I was that kid who in high school was lucky enough to have the option of doing AP computer science. And actually, I was just of the right age where I got to take it twice. Thank you, Pascal and C++. So I was just this super nerd growing up um, and had the latitude and was able to do things like go to DEF CON when I was a teenager. So it's a whole culture that I grew up around. And that meant um, in that time, I saw my future as, well, I'm not one of these people who's this super uber techie who's ready to go into the workforce. Because I definitely had friends who were doing that, skipped college, the whole nine yards. I always knew that I was going to go to college. And by the way, shout out to, I happen to be a first-generation college graduate. Very proud of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I talk about that enough. So I, I definitely want to throw that out there. Yeah. So somebody who's- Let's turn you know, the key on that. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah um, you know, somebody who was always told by, by my parents who are both immigrants, education is so important. Education is important when you go to college, not if, right? So- I came up really interested in tech. I came up with this expectation that I was going to go to college, get a degree, and whatever you want to do after that, great. So at that time, computer science was the thing and left the San Francisco Bay Area, headed out to Boston, where I still reside today. And we can go into the rest that's incredibly winding, but that's kind of how things started and where where I got my start. It's fascinating. Every time we do this show, I learn very fascinating things about our guests. And on no less than at least 10 different occasions, I have discovered that my path is probably physically crossed with others 
in very small spaces and we never knew it. I too attended DEF CON as a teenager and without seeing how old either one of us are, it probably was at the exact same time because you know there was no black hat then. It was just DEF CON. <laughs> uh, and our paths have probably crossed on, on no less than probably one or two of those occasions. We've got to start like a misconnections for InfoSec people. Not like creepy, just like a, yeah, I was there too. Kind of. So that's awesome. So let's let's talk about not wanting to be a heavy technologist. Um, I can relate because when I left high school on my way to college, I had a similar thought. Like, this isn't something I want to do for a living. And so I, I originally decided to go be a mechanical engineer. I was very quickly reminded uh, that that will require the controlling of, of machines via code um cncs were a real thing even then too and so you know i, I didn't get away from coding it's like oh darkness my old friend there you are uh, <laughs> now i don't run away from it any longer though I, I run to it and embrace it so the question for you is kind of the same what what about it today do you run to and embrace oh that's a really deep question like you to know deep uh, privacy please Dun dun dun. Yeah. Okay, well, here's here's the cool thing about what what I do today. I'll give you the little recap post college, post getting my degree and how that's figured into still today trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, right? <laughs> so, I graduated from college. I have my computer science degree, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. So proud of it. But I knew I didn't want to be this coder. So I kind of wandered around a while and, you know, we can fast forward through a decade of my life where I got into digital forensics, like did a lot of super in-depth work uh, at this really tiny consulting company, um, everything from intellectual property theft to supporting, um, investigating terrorism and all kinds of different cases. But uh after a decade of doing that, and in fact, starting to teach it for Sands Institute, because that's another thing that I've got in my back pocket, which I super enjoy. Um, I came to Cyber Reason, and we're an EDR and EPP company. So that means we are making the software to help protect organizations against attacks. Like that's really our mission is to protect the open and interconnected world against all of the bad stuff that's out there. Um, I joined at a time when the company was 300 something people, and now we're getting close to 700, but I need to put that in perspective to the company I was at for a decade where we peaked at four people. <laughs> so this is super important because all of my time at Cyberies and where I've held different roles, I think the most important thing that I've done in all of the different teams I've sat at, you know, I've been a SOC analyst, I've worked in our product management organization, I now work for our office of the CISO. I've always been the person who raises her hand and says, what about security? Right. So, you know, if I'm in that PM meeting and we're talking about the latest whiz-bang feature and the next sprint, I'm like, hey guys, we're a security company. What does this mean for security? If I'm helping out another part of our organization uh, with something that they're doing, whether it's a press release or an article or uh, a webcast, you know, I still am able to do that. I say, you know, what about security? What about the people who are impacted? 
And I think that's the common thread that's tying together a bunch of things I do. So I've got my day job at Cyberus and I teach for the Sands Institute, and I'm also starting to get into policy. And I'm in this incredible program at the Aspen Institute where I'm starting to figure out like, hey, I'm that person who cares about security. How can I make a bigger impact? You know, not just with the people I work with, not just with the communities I'm connected to, but how do I go beyond that? and do the most good and remind people that security is a thing that we should care about. Mm -hmm. I have two questions regarding the policy aspect of it, because I wanted to spend some time today on the show talking to you specifically about policy. And the first is, because I'm one of those guys that I, I will totally read the the end of a book first, or I'll read the spoiler about a movie. Like, I, not only do I not that not bother me, like I want to know, I want to know now. Like, I love the journey, but I also like to 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 know where I'm headed. The destination is equally important. So you're that guy that watched the last episode of Game of Thrones. And uh, actually, I'm the guy who hasn't even watched any of the episodes, but I've totally read um, all of the the all of the the articles breaking down the last episode of Game of Thrones. Yes, so I know everything about it. Judges will allow. Yeah, in fact, I annoy people quite often because, like, I I know everything about all those popular movies, but I never watch any of them. It's very, it's time consuming. I'll read it first. But my question, my question is, I need a spoiler. Do you have any early insights into that question that you were asking yourself? Early insights, not necessarily definitive, but you know, directionally, what can you do to help affect policy? That was my first question. That's a great question. Okay, I'm, I'm going to take it back again. And I'm going to tell you a story about when I was younger, in that like, kid who was growing up in the Bay Area and connected to all these companies doing cool stuff. And how I started to care about things that were happening in security and privacy and laws that were being enacted and, you know, things that really impacted me at the time. So on my bookshelf behind me, I've got this book that was published, it's been way more than 20 years ago. It's a book that's a couple inches thick, and it has all of the PGP source code in it. Wow. So straight up, just a couple hundred page book with code in it. So... This is around the time, if, if anybody remembers some early Apple TV ads, it's the time that Apple Computer had these ads They were saying, our chips are so modern, they're so advanced that they're considered munitions. Like this is the era of the crypto wars. Mm -hmm. And this is a thing where according to our federal laws, we had restrictions on what we could export or what we could send or share out of the United States with regards to cryptography. Right. So if I were to open up this book and show you all of that source code, it's actually printed in a font so that the intent is you could buy that book because a book is considered free speech. So think, think big picture. The book is considered free speech. If you are somebody who lived abroad, you could purchase that book that could be printed and published in the United States, have it sent abroad, scan in all of those pages because it was printed in such a font that it was so early scanners could process the information. And then you could have 
your strong encryption protocol to do whatever you needed to do as far as privacy, as far as security. Malicious ITAR compliance. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, if, if you want to go way back, I've got all kinds of examples of that where if you were a teenager who was kind of growing up at the same time that I was, and you were doing things like reading 2600 and going to those meetings on the first Friday of the month, you have dozens of these examples in your back pocket, whether we're talking about uh, the publish publication of DCSS code, whether yeah. we're talking about things that were going on with Adobe at the time. Um, but I was exposed to all of these examples of, hey, there's something going on with the regulation of technology right now that just doesn't feel right. It feels like it's impacting technology in this adverse way. Mm. And if you're a technologist, maybe you've grown up with the spirit. And this is, uh, if you want to go back, way, way back, you can attribute it to John Perry Barlow's early writing, you know, one of the founders of the EFF and all those other things he was involved in, where we have this idea of this tech utopia where we can do what we want because of the great power of technology. And in this era, it seemed like there are a lot of laws and a lot of regulations and policies that were restricting that ethos. So, That's some of my early exposure to this. And you can look around today and you can see privacy bills. You can see uh, regulations and policies around AI and facial recognition. And you can take those exact same arguments and think about, uh, you know, some of the most visible ones might be politicians who are trying to regulate all of this technology. And the big question is, do they have technologists who are able to see the big picture and advise them in useful ways about what are the technological standards, what can technically be done, and what is going to harm or hurt the technology industry and, you know, our economy and our livelihood if these policies are imposed? Devil's advocate. Loft appeared on Capitol Hill almost 20 years ago. We. We didn't really listen to them then. <laughs> what what do we do differently as a society? What how do we start listening to to the things that they echoed and that you're echoing and 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 similar? And by the way, yes, uh, shout out to the old alt twenty six hundred crew for printing many ASCII schematics that I've turned into more blue boxes than I can shake a stick at. Back when you could buy those component parts at a Radio Shack, I have no idea what kids do for fun anymore. But I guarantee you, it's not this. It wasn't that much fun. Yeah. Does Radio Shack still exist? I don't know the answer to that. I think the answer is no. But even if they do, they almost certainly don't sell, you know, blue boxes and chips and breadboards any longer. And and now you won't even have fries to do that at either. So I don't know. But again, I'm digressing. What do we do? We've we've had people trying to advise on some of these policies for a long time. Bruce Bruce comes to mind as well. It's like Bruce Schneider. I mean, everyone at, at Loft, Mudge and, and the whole crew. I don't know that we lacked for those things. I, I feel like what we may have lacked, and now I'm leading the witness, are people on the other side of that fence to catch the message. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I think there's two things going on. I think that there's a lot of technologists who care about these issues and maybe don't know where to go or how to interact to get their voice to be heard. 
And I think that there's also an issue of when we talk about the government and specifically the U.S. government, whether that's federal, state or local, um, you know, who is willing to be mission driven enough to move to Washington, D.C. oftentimes and be able to be that expert who is working within the system uh, to help make that change? So I I remember hearing a quote that really stuck with me when I was attending uh, the Grace Hopper conference last year. So it was all virtual at that time. And one of the quotes in somebody uh, talking about in a panel about policy was, did you know that it's easier to hire a seamstress in the government than a technologist? So, so think, think about that. If you have the need to, for whatever it is, let's, let's pick a really, really cool project, like sew a spacesuit for NASA mm. and hire a seamstress, you know, there's, I, I think most of us can wrap our heads around like, okay, this is what that project involves. You know, I need somebody who can cut a pattern, who can sew, who can source material. If you're hiring somebody to build an app, to build a website and think back to all of the noise that happened when healthcare.gov launched in epic fail fashion. That was bad. If you are somebody who is trying to digitize a current government process, do you think that the average person with the power to hire a technologist who wants to deal with these issues knows everything involved in soliciting feedback in agile uh product management and sprints in technology stacks. Yeah. Think about everything that goes into that. It's when you start to think about it, you start to understand how things like, uh, you know, today when we're looking at websites to try and get our vaccines, why those things kind of make you bang your head against a wall because of what's involved. Good. That's a great point. Great point. My second question back to, to policy is I equally stand by in the sidelines because I have not had the commitment to move to DC. Although now that you said, it, I'm like, why, why don't I move to DC? And then I remembered because it's DC. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't want to live in the beltway. No, thanks. It's a great place to visit though. Uh, a lot of policy still attempts to solve for the symptoms and not the actual cause of the problems. And there are no shortage of, technology symptoms that exist from inequities in access to technology, which leads to its own privacy and security issues, to the imbalance of the worth of that data, um, you know, based on socioeconomic you know, lines in the sand, if you would. Um, some of our data is definitely worth more than others, but in different ways to different people. So how does policy start addressing the symptoms and not just, I'm sorry, the other way around, I start addressing the cause and not just the symptoms as it so often does. And I'm picking on social policy because that's the place where I see some of those biggest failures, but I'd, I'd like to not repeat those. Wow. Gabe, if I had the answer to that, <laughs> you wouldn't be on this. I'd podcast. be off doing that. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I'd, I'd come join you by the way. Yeah. Well, I, I think you and I, we've, we've talked about this a little bit uh, in previous conversations when we've met up, you know, right. how do we create more respect for marginalized voices in the industry? Uh, how do we recognize that there are people, some people who are hurt 
and harm by technologies, yeah. uh, just as much as every technology can help. Um, you know, I I don't know the answer, but I think the first thing is to be in the room to be able to ask that question. That's a good point. In the room when it happens. That's that's a mm-hmm. good answer. It's a good answer. Cam, I'm going to turn it over to you. Otherwise, I'm going to start breaking out into Hamilton songs after that one. <laughs> it will happen. Like, leave me to my own devices on a Friday. I will start humming some Hamilton. You know, because I'm, I'm a little less of a tech guru when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I'm curious, what, you know, how do you create good security policy? What's a, what's a simple way to, like, I'm 12 years old, <laughs> figuratively. I mean, what, what's a good way to break that down for someone? <laughs> oh, I believe it's the explain to me like I'm five version, but I like 12. I like 12. That's a good question. I'd say it, it depends on who you are and what you need. Let's do this. Let's, let's take Cameron's question in, in the spirit of it. If you were to recreate a bill on Capitol Hill, but it were, you know, data privacy in your organization, that doesn't rhyme, but right. What, how do you, how, what, what's the first line? What's the opening line in that, uh, in that jingle? How do you start? Wow. Okay, well, we've been talking a bit about history. Yes. Everything is bound to repeat itself. So let's look at where we've been. We can at least empirically, like, I like to be a database person. We can look back on what's happened with privacy bills in the past. What kind of comments have there been? Who who have they harmed? Uh, who have they left out? You know, I'm, I'm going to detour way, way over to one of my, my personal rabbit holes that has nothing to do with tech, but I'm, I'm going to bring it back around because I think about this a lot. So I'm somebody who outside of the keyboard, I like to spend a ton of time working out. I'm a super huge gym rat, big into powerlifting that doesn't even begin to summarize like what I like to do away from the keyboard. But uh, in the pursuit of becoming a better lifter, I've gone to a lot of coaching conferences. And there's a coach who, strength coach, who I greatly admire, who posed this question, or actually poses this question to his audience every time he speaks. He goes, if I gave you a weight room and I said, you could only put three things in the weight room, what are the three things you would buy? And the first time I heard this question, I thought I knew the answer. I was like, the barbell is the best training tool ever. And do I have to count a barbell and a weight set and like a squat rack as three different things? Because if I do, there's my three right there. And over the years, I've heard this presenter, it's, you know, it's probably been close to a decade since I first heard him present. So, of course, at a recent conference, he starts asking this question People in the audience try and don't answer it, by the way, because Cameron is also a bit of a uh, fitness fanatic and a certified certified fitness coach. I I would like to hear his answer, but but go on. Okay, so I I won't give give what I think is my punchline. Right. But people in the audience always try and throw it back at him and they say, oh, well, what would you put in, coach? And he never answers. But but I'm going to say that today my answer would be very different than it was the first time I heard him ask that question. This is, this is a great game. So 
I want to hear your answer first. The first time you heard it, what was your answer? And then I want to hear Cameron's mm-hmm. answer. Yep. So that first time I was all like, barbell is king. Like right. barbell, weight set, squat rack, or, you know, if if I really, if if that is too much, like if I can't count a weight set as one item, if if that counts as like barbell, one plate, one plate, if that's it, I'm like, well, maybe I could go to like an adjustable dumbbell or a kettlebell set or some bands. But like, that's kind of where I was thinking back, back in my early days. Mm, bands. I had bands in my brain too. Cam? Um, so it's funny if this would have been asked to me when I was earlier in my training, I'd, I would have said differently, but I'm going to go with what I would think now. Number one, definitely kettlebells. Those are super underutilized. But, but again, to Ladrina's point though, is that like, does one set count as one or is it like one kettlebell? Gotcha. Um, Man, I would at least say that it should count as one for a set of two. All right, fair enough. Same, All right, so kettlebells. Got it. And what are your other two? So I'd probably pick a weight that was like medium, around forty-five to fifty-five pounds. That you I don't have do. to show off. That's okay. Okay, okay I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something light, just a couple of forty-fives. Throw those <laughs> up there. There's so much you can do with kettlebells. It's insane. Um, and it's, it's also a craft too. There's the movements that you can do. Anyways, um, I would probably also pick either rings or some kind of pull-up bar. And my th- third would be an, probably an adjustable dumbbell, I think too, because you can do a lot with that. And you can, it's one item, but it's really close to the kettlebell. So I would say probably bands. So this is this is a good exercise because we're we're going to tie this back obviously to to uh, the core question around security and privacy. But I think I understand um, the 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 analogy here. So I'll give you my answer as the one of the three of us that is not a I don't want to use the word fanatic or et cetera because I've spent a fair amount of time like researching um, mostly body weight exercises because I traveled so much. Like having all the things that you you folks just mentioned wouldn't cut it in my hotel room, especially when I'm trying to get ready to go out for the day. Well, you can go down to the gym. I don't have time to go down to the hotel gym. I'm going to do this right here in my room. Um, So for me, water, mirror, bands would have been the answer. But uh, back to you, Ladrine. I'm very interested in hearing the answer as well as the tie-in. Oh, man. Okay, so... This will be an interesting moment in time for me to listen back to in a few years. So I think my answer today would be to really turn the question back on the asker. And it was exactly like you said, like, what's what's up with these 45 pound kettlebells? That's that's not my deal. Like, who is this for? Like, are you training a population of seniors who are recovering from hip surgery? Are you training a bunch of teenage athletes who are trying to get college scholarships? Is it something way in between? So the tools that you use are going to be different based on who you're trying to help. And of course, when we talk about privacy and security, the answer is kind of everyone. And every edge case isn't really an edge case because rather than talk about edge cases, those are real people out there who are affected by policies and regulations and laws. Wow. Hold on. I got to pause there because that, that you're blowing my mind for a second. 
there are no edge cases in privacy because there's a human being attached to every one of those things. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard it articulated that way. And I don't think I've agreed more with the statement all week than I do that. Way. Yeah, that's real. Yeah. Can I, can I jump in? I had a thought. I was thinking you would, about this. You would take back the 45. <laughs> <laughs> no, my sweet spot are 35s and 53 pounds. I don't, I don't usually go above that with the I'm over here stretching rubber bands like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my thought today, because uh, it was, it was on my way home from the gym this early this morning. And I was thinking about a lot of the questions that we ask to pr- privacy professionals and security professionals is, you know, we always talk about privacy and what it means and how important it is. But my thought was, do you think that we're going to get to a point in security and privacy to where privacy isn't privacy anymore? To where it's just not going to matter because everything is so out in the open. Does that make sense? My brain was kind of like, Maybe you maybe you're onto something there, but like my thought is is because the new age of of the teenagers nowadays, the, the X generation or Z, I don't know, whatever that. I don't know what no, what letter we're up there. <laughs> but like they don't really. I mean, you got TikTok. You putting your whole vi- vlogs online, everything, your life, your family. Just aren't there more boomers on TikTok than like whatever generation we're up to now? Though I feel like there's more yeah. boomers on TikTok than yeah yeah. But I mean, like, is, is privacy going to get to a point where it just doesn't matter anymore? What you, say, you know? Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. To whom? There we go. Coming sure. back to who are we talking about? I think our understanding and maybe definition of what privacy is might change. I don't know. That's. That's a big one. And I think it probably is something that won't matter to a lot of people until it affects them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, Cam's yeah. got a great point though, right? Like we are fortunate enough to live in a country where potable water is not something people think about or care about for the most part. Big asterisk on for the most part. Like I don't have to go pulling up articles from Flint or 99 other counties in this country. But it is kind of an afterthought because it's already taken care of through policy. We have lots of policy that, that dictates, you know, safe levels of drinking water. Will privacy go the way of that as, as folks like yourself endeavor on creating better privacy policies? Can we, is that a goal we should shoot for where we just turn on the, the tap and ah, I can drink that water. Should we just be able to interact with technology and expect? Where is that expectation of privacy? We already know that there is a lack of expectation of privacy in a lot of public venues. How does that affect the way we transact privacy in a digital space? So when we talk about data privacy, I'm going to start narrowing it down here. Yes. There are so many aspects of what we could be talking about. You know, I... My work at Cyber Reason is we're an EDR and EPP company. And when people ask us about the privacy of their data, I, I always start asking the questions back. Okay, do you care about your company data 
that is being monitored by our security products? Do you care about data, let's say, like your business contract with us, our financial obligations? And of course, if you're in Europe, we have GDPR concerns. But by the way, in addition to all of that, we have metadata about that data. So this is where like my life as a forensic investigator starts to get really interesting. And and like I I mentioned in when we were talking earlier, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. I think this is where we start to get to like my superpower, right? It's because I've looked at data at such a low level. I have found things only available in hex that make or break a case. And when you start talking about that data, about that embedded metadata, about that data that is just generated by us going about our daily business, and then you contrast that with the content of what's being stored, what's being transacted, what's being protected, we could have this conversation on so many different levels. And part of me is starting to wonder how many other people have the same skill set and background that I have who can kind of zoom out and look at this from the angle I'm looking at it. Mm. And there are other people, I'm starting to find them, which is really, really wonderful and heartening to hear about the work that they're doing. But again, we could slice this conversation in so many different ways. Are we talking about um, privacy, you know, of you as a human, privacy of a corporation of that data that's being generated and of that metadata. Because even if you have some kind of expectation of data security, what about the thing that's logging that data and all of the other artifacts that get created? Right. The metadata about the data is very much one of the biggest challenges facing privacy today. It's probably one of the reasons we see a ton of metadata cataloging solutions popping up. I don't know that they're solving the problem, but I think they are in the path to solving the problem. Um, it's a very interesting uh, line of thought, though. I've not considered some of some of what you, you threw out there. It's worth pulling on a bit more. I often talk on this show and others about, you know, there is no real lack of, of uh available and skilled people to perform the jobs in infosec and privacy. We have a, we have a technology problem and we have a, a lack of being of wanting to accept transferable skills, such as forensic skills into solving a data problem. Right. Um, and just looking at it very myopically. Uh, we should equally trade those war stories, war stories one day, by the way, I used to, I used to do forensics for a divorce firm in New York city for a number of years. This is some, Exciting, but not very uplifting stories. But they are fascinating. Cover those one day on the show. Um, but what are some of those transferable skills? You, you mentioned, you know, your forensic background. If I were to attempt to assemble a team of folks that wanted to look at this problem differently, what are some of the skills you would look for in a technologist to solve for the data privacy problem? That problem. Let's keep it narrow. The data privacy problem. What are some of those transferable skills? Ooh. That's a good question. I'm thinking about, um, there's a couple of mentees I have. Some of them are formal relationships where we've signed a contract to work together. Um, I've got some great stories about a mentee I'm working with right now, but I'm, I'm thinking about a couple of young people who are kind of post-college age I've been talking to. And um, I'm going to give a shout out to, to one of them without revealing her name 
who is currently a paralegal looking to get into the forensic industry. And based on her background, which is not in a technical field at all in college and what she's doing now, I told her, awesome. We need you in tech. Uh, I understand you're going back to grad school to get a technical degree. That's great if that is the way you learn. I think today, if you find the right employer, they should be willing to hire you based on your professional skills. So somebody with a liberal arts degree, working as a paralegal who's interested in tech, um, found me online and is a good enough communicator to have gotten me to reply back to her, totally cold outreach. I said, you are a great communicator. You have critical thinking skills and you know how to communicate professionally. You work in a law firm. You are dealing with, uh, you know, your peers and lawyers and clients who are very demanding, especially because your time is money and their time is money. You know, I don't know how many other people out there, and I will speak as somebody who is not an HR person or involved in hiring in significant ways. If we can get more people to see that transferability of skills for people who are, um, you know, whether you're young or not, for career changers and people who are outside of their traditional tech industry. And by the way, you can no longer be. There's nobody I'm advising who is that kid who grew up in San Francisco during the dot-com yeah, boom because, you know, that, that was a very limited moment in time. Um, but if there are people out there who can see those transferable skills and find those people who are interested in technology, let's, let's train them up. Let's, let's bring them in. Let's use their skills to solve our problems because what we've been doing so far, well, we can obviously get better at it. I'd love to see more of that. Tired of hearing about the skill shortage. I'm like, really? Because there's like 99 very intelligent human beings that I'm certain could help us solve these problems that we have. And maybe we don't need them to have 10 years of Kubernetes uh, background, especially since it hasn't been out for 10 years, HR. Um, shout out to the HR departments that have that one posted. <laughs> it's amazing what, what uh, you can take two people or 10 people and they come from different backgrounds and even if they went to the same school, took the same classes, the cool thing is, is everybody lives a different life and coming from different angles or maybe even not even graduating, but getting experience in different fields and just bringing that together as a team is, I think, what's so special about some, some companies is because you have so many diverse backgrounds and, and ideas and thoughts and, and that's where great things come about and, and solving problems. Agreed. Virginia, Consumer Data Protection Act. Do you have a chance to dig in at all? Ooh, I am failing this pop quiz. That's okay. The answer, <laughs> the answer can be no, but do dig in. Dig into the Virginia Consumer Data Protection Act. The, the question, however, is not specific to that one. I call that one out because it appears to have some language in it that is... Uh, a bit divergent than the, the California Consumer Protection Act. Uh, and so my question from a policy level is, you know, we've, we're getting more and more state privacy laws, lots of them. As it stands, we have, we have breach response laws on the books for every state, but they're, they're all very similar. They rhyme. 
is it time for something at the federal level or shall these Confederate States of America continue to exist in, in its bifurcated state because that's best from a policy perspective? My first thought is it's kind of like asking me, should all these states roll their own crypto? Well, and and the answer, like if if everybody out there in podcast land could see me, I'm like emphatic. No, Uh, only in that, you know, I want to say, let's not reinvent the wheel where we don't have to. Um, This is something where, along with privacy, you know, there's a couple different uh, bills under consideration right now on privacy. There's also a couple different ones on vulnerability disclosure. And we're seeing this. So let me take something that is a little bit more immediate to stuff I've worked on recently, which is when we look at vulnerability disclosure, and if you are somebody who's working with the federal government, you know, are you required to have your own vulnerability disclosure policy? And how do uh, how do issues in your software get escalated and become shared and known to parties? who are affected by them. You know, um, what we're seeing is there are certain standards out there. And when we talk about standards, and when I mention this, I mean things like NIST, like ISO, uh, other standards organizations who have their own very detailed policies about this. We have some things federally, but we also are seeing some states bring up this issue. Mm-hmm. And are we going to write this thing 50 different times, whether we're talking about privacy, whether we're talking about vulnerability disclosure, or are we going to have one standard? I say standard very specifically rather than say federal law. Right. And I'm not going to say what the right answer is right now, but you know, I think it is worth mentioning. There are good things that can bubble up from the state level especially when there are good technologists to advise those issues. But to your point, yeah, I think this is something that we're going to start to see, whether we're talking about privacy or talking about anything else. Are there things that happen at the state level that are incompatible with other standards and other existing policies out there? And when those conflicts arise, who wins and what issues are created? I think we're just at the beginning of starting to see this. Good point. If you had, let's say, let's put yourself in a different seat. Um, If you had the duties, great word. If you had the duties of running security and privacy for a company and you only had a $100 budget, where would you start with that $100? Can I come back to my favorite answer of it depends? <laughs> That's great. Because <laughs> it always does. It it really does. I mean, um, you know, is is the best thing I can do with my hundred bucks take out a trusted advisor to lunch and have them give me the names of who the best privacy lawyer is that we should have on retainer? Probably Scott G. Scott G. Shout out. (laughs) Uh, That's actually a good point. 
I don't think we've asked you this, but what what does what does privacy mean to you personally? Like when you think of the term privacy, what what comes to mind? Wow. What does privacy mean to me personally? I think for me, privacy is probably an understanding of what of my own data gets to be shared with somebody else and how it gets shared. You know, something like my name is very unique and is not something, while personally identifiable, is something that's going to be out there in all the databases. Um, yeah, I think it's really that understanding of what of my own data gets to be shared and who gets that and who should get it. Maybe that's an even better way to put it. Who has it and who should have it? And by the way, I am totally that nerd who is going to read the fine print and figure out for all my bank accounts, what is the address I need to write to so that my bank is not selling my third-party data? And maybe that gives you a little bit of insight into how I feel about privacy and how I deal with it. Which is probably, I'm not going to throw a percentage out there, but I would say that most people, let's say they get a new iPhone <laughs> or they're doing an update. I guarantee you, and we both, all three of us know that um, nobody's, most the majority are not going to read it. They're just going to say, I accept. Um, I don't even read it. Oh, no, he didn't. I'm not even going to lie about it. Like, no, seriously, I don't. Like, I've read some of them out of curiosity, mm -hmm. taken umbrage with several things in there, and still have decided that uh, I shall have to accept such shenanigans <laughs> to proceed into the gates in the hell of Mordor that exists before me. So... Oh. Yeah, totally honestly, like I'm going to admit I have not written every piece of the Apple privacy policy. Um, I will click through a whole bunch of those user agreements. I will set up a new, here's a good one. When I set up a new Windows computer right now, there are so many chances to have an online account, a synced online experience across all of your devices. I work very hard to say no to all of those prompts and just have my data stored locally on my own system to the best extent possible. But I'm going to be real. I have not read, and especially every time like Twitter updates their terms of service or all of those things, I have not read all those documents. I know how to, who to go to. I know who to go to when all of that fine print comes out and who's going to be making a stink over the things that like that one line that we should care about, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to read it myself Can to I be totally honest requests. I, I need to put in the policy request and you, you're going to, you're going to force me to get into the policy game more, but can we just do away with these EULAs and click throughs for, for consumers? Because we all know that no one reads them. And I vaguely remember seeing some, some conversations in the past about, uh, either limiting them or making them in, in such kind of, you know, human readable language, if you would, that they were more approachable by everyone. But let's be honest, what's that lowest common denominator? Right? The New York Times is published at a seventh grade reading level intentionally, and yet somehow our EULAs aren't. Can, I, I don't know where that line is, but I want to do away with them. I want, I, want, I want them to go away. I don't want them in my life anymore. 
That's my policy request. So as you're working on policy and someone asks you, you know, have you heard anyone get passionate about anything recently? Tell them that you spoke to this, this dapper, dapper man. Yeah. And, he, and he, he was like blowing a vein over privacy click throughs. Like, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? As much as my favorite, I don't know, maybe not favorite answer to questions, most common answer to questions is it depends. My favorite question is, so what? You know, so when I see that EULA, when I see that privacy notice, so what? How does it affect me? And that's what you want to know. I think a lot of people would benefit from that. Yeah. I have a question for you both since we're all Apple users, correct? Most people are, you know. I mean, um, we use lots of things, but that is one of the platforms I do. Yes. Would you say with confidence that because of Apple's history and privacy stance, that you feel less worried about not reading theirs compared to others? Oh, no, not at all. In no? fact, because they could, if they so choose, litigate, legislate, dodge, pay their way out of any uh, misdeeds, I approach it a bit more cautiously. Because sure, they may be doing the right thing now, but what's to stop them from doing the wrong thing tomorrow? Like, nothing, really. It's nothing. It's, no, it's absolutely nothing. Anyway, I That's should let our guest answer that question. <laughs> See, this gets me worked up because, like, it's just—it's nonsense. It's—it's absolute—it's theater at best. It's a hot take, Gabe. All right, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that hot take and giving me some time to mull this over. I—I I wonder. I'm trying to like dig way back in my gray matter. Was it Apple that had that warrant canary? In their privacy policy, it's, is this ringing a bell? There was it rings some, a bell. There was a major company who had this warrant canary in their privacy policy, and I want to throw out there: I am not a lawyer. This is just my reading the news and trying to dig way back in my gray matter. But there's something where I want to say is one of the Apple EULAs. They had something that said, "We have not to." date provided information to blank agency. Uh, and then I think, one, it is, I think it is Apple. Right. Yeah, it, and then, it disappeared though in 14, 2014. Okay. Yes. Cam coming in with, with the fact check. Thank Google you. Search. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, when you say Apple specifically, that's the one thing that comes to mind. Um, so there is at least you know, sometimes you see these really like incredibly strong, bright, shining lights coming out of companies or really bright spotlight moments in privacy. Maybe that's just one person saying, hey, this is something that matters that we need to put out there. And thank you. Thank you to that one person trying to make things better. Um, there are ways all of us can try and make things better. And maybe we're not all lawyers for Apple, but I think there are ways we can contribute and I'm still working on figuring out my way, but you know, it's, it's not a hopeless cause. I'll say that. Right on. Um, <clears throat> before we get on to our last segment, which is a very fun segment, fun, funner, more fun. Um, is there anything that you want to bring up that we didn't bring up? Oh man, what else is there? Um, and you can't use it, depends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can. I, you can. 
Okay. I, I feel like so far in this conversation, since, since I joined up with you guys, we've talked about privacy, yeah, powerlifting and yeah. animal photos on Slack. So yeah. I'm, I'm good. That's good. We covered a lot of ground. Ooh, we mm-hmm. did not cover. So, I mean, we've been shouting out a lot of things and a lot of people. So one, one more shout out because we covered something else that we covered. Uh, who has the largest number of Slack uh, communities that they belong to? Um, and uh, we won't reveal the answer because I'm ashamed that I, I won't reveal the answer. But one of those Slack channels is the Pancakes 2Con. Yeah, so first, shout out to Leslie and all of the other organizers because we love her and we love the work that they all do. And you will be speaking at said con in two weeks, yes? I am, yeah. So so big love to Leslie Carhart for putting together a free conference geared towards uh, particularly people who are new in InfoSec, maybe transitioning into the field. Uh, and this is a super, super unique free virtual conference that's happening. If if you're listening to this podcast after Pancakes Con Two has happened, uh, you know, look look it up because there should be lots of information online about technical and non-technical topics. So here's what I'm so excited to, to talk about. Everybody at Pancakes Con is talking for 20 minutes about a technical issue or subject or something that they want to share with the community. And 20 minutes on something absolutely not InfoSec related. I love that about PancakeCon. So so I've seen things. I think last time there was a talk about bread baking, yes. um, mixing cocktails. Yes. I am going to be talking about digital forensics and how you can kind of identify data that might be stored on your devices. You know, you might not be a forensic expert or have any exposure to the field, but I want to share with people, how can you figure out what data of yours might be stored on devices and then allow that data to be recovered by somebody who comes along like myself, who's getting way, way in there at the super nerdy hex level and pulling back up. And then I get to transition to my powerlifting 101, uh, share my story about how I started going to the gym, started to learn about lifting weights was kind of doing pretty good and enjoying it. And, uh, I want to see how far I could take it. So spoiler alert, uh, I've been able to meddle at the international level and, uh, you should come to pancakes con and I'll, I'll tell the rest of that story. So put it on the list, ladies and gents. We also have on the show, a medalist, a weightlifting medalist um, on the show too, which is awesome. What day and time is your talk? Well, I want to make sure we get it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. So March 21st, 2021 okay. is Pancakes Con 2. Yes. All right. I will make sure, we'll make sure those get into the, uh, the show notes. You guys can go mm-hmm. check it out now. PancakesCon.wordpress.com. That feels right. Yes, pancakes.com. Sorry, we've got a new update. I was looking back to my old list. Pancakescon.com. We'll make sure all of those get into the show notes. And uh, that's going to be a good one. Um, double spoiler for those of you that don't know. And there's actually a, a healthy number of people I've met in InfoSec that are weightlifters and, and deadlifters. You, you're 
you guys numbers are growing by the day. The ranks are are really rising. I can I mean I can think of several folks off the top of my head. Um, but that's awesome. It's good to see more of that. To see good to see nerds oh, yeah. not just being sedentary people any longer. I mean everything from black belts in jujitsu to medalists in, uh, in, in, in weightlifting to triathletes. I think, I think we've had every, we've had people in a show that have done all of those things. Mm-hmm. And then there's Cam over here with his 45ers. So, you know, Oh gosh, heck yeah. <laughs> you know what? The, the, before we go on to this next topic, the thing that I've learned, cause I'm in my thirties now <clears throat> is that I've hurt my back enough with powerlifting and all that kind of stuff with heavy weights. So now I'm, I'm practicing the craft, which you can do really well with kettlebells and you can get really strong. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff, you know, I'm, it's, I'm experimenting. It's, it's fun. It's good stuff. Yeah. And getting moving no matter what you're doing. Um, okay. For, for those who've made it to this point in the podcast, a little uh, <laughs> secret to share with you. I've started going to ballet class. I love it. It is the best part of my week right now. That's cool. While my gym is closed. But yeah, whatever you are doing, you know, wherever you are, I find that time away from the keyboard makes me so much better when I'm back at work. So true. That is probably the best advice if people haven't gotten that advice yet because of this last year. Um, All right, let's, let's go into deep, dark secrets. This is my favorite. And I'm going to start off, I'm super curious now, but since we've already been talking about it, what's your favorite lift? And maybe we can get um, precise about it. Are you preferable to sumo deadlifts or conventional? Oh, hard-hitting questions. Oh, one, two. Okay. (laughs) Conventional deadlift all the way. Okay, for those um, that don't know that, it's feet are closer together, shoulder width yep. apart at least, or, or closer. Exactly. So your standard uh, barbells on the ground, legs are inside your shoulders. It's it's your uh, pick them pick things up and put them down lift. Things up and put them down. I love that. Sometimes you just want to pick up heavy things and then throw them down and you know scream a little bit. Yeah, it's okay. I call that Friday night. <laughs> It's a good, that's a good Friday. <laughs> um, what's your biggest pet peeve? Ooh, biggest pet peeve. I think I, I might've mentioned, I, I don't like reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. If there's some kind of process out there, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's kind of like cooking. Um, when you're starting in cooking, you know, just follow the recipe before you start getting all creative See, see what's out there. Learn from what people have done before. Don't overthink it sometimes. What would be the top of your list for your bucket list that you haven't done? Oh, well, besides uh, moving my body in, in different ways since my gym has been closed, I'm actually really this year looking forward to riding a motorcycle, which is uh, not a new hobby for me but a new again hobby and it's going to be the year of exploration. Nice. What kind of motorcycle? Are we going like Indian or what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm a BMW girl. Oh. So I've, I've got a, a little, I'm, I'm also, you know, not, 
not a tall person. So I've got a little, little tiny do it all. I've got a 310 GS with my name on it. That'll get you where you're going. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. That thing's got, that's got some kick though. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very nice. All right. I'm curious to this and you don't have to answer it, but what about your job annoys you the most? Ooh, good question. You know, I, I love, I'll, I'll tell you what I came into cyber reason wanting to do. And I will tell anybody this. I, t- I said, I want to work at this company because I want to walk into a room of smart people and be able to learn from them. And also, you know, have them learn from me, really have that interpersonal exchange of information. I am so pleased that I get to work with so many smart and brilliant people on a daily basis, but I very, very specifically at the time I joined the company, really focused on that walk into the room, like physical, be in a room with people. And as we're recording this in early 2021, that's obviously something that hasn't happened to this point in actually 365 days. So I got to say that's been really hard on me getting a work from home set up a year later, I'm still working on it, but uh, I can try. That's a great answer. I, I think a lot of people can relate. <clears throat> Cam's biggest pet peeve is having to work with me. <laughs> <laughs> no way. It is contract. That's, that's no probably way. the brightness of mine. It's in his contract. He has to work with me. <laughs> what contract do you got? Ew. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love this question. It's one of uh, newer ones that I found, but uh, if you were to make a time capsule today for you to open in 10 years, what would you put in it? Oh boy. What would I put in a time capsule? I I don't know. Maybe it would be 2020. My... <laughs> yeah. Just store that away. Never reopen it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it would be my cell phone. I don't know that that's so much a reflection of my life these days for better or worse. I think that would be a riot to go through in 10 years. Yeah. We, we asked that question last week with James. He said an Apple watch, which side sidebar Apple watch is actually going to be, if you're into Disney, if you're a Disney person, instead of the magic bands, you can actually use your Apple Watch to get into the park. So I'm Ooh. super stoked about that when that comes out. I think it's coming out soon. It's amazing is- what, what privacy we are willing to trade. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean- take all kinds of umbrage with those Disney watches, and uh, we should do a whole – in fact, we are going to do a whole segment on that. I happen to have a friend who is in InfoSec over at Disney. We're going to give him a call, and we're going to invite him on the show as well. That, that happens there. <laughs> well, anyways, um, Ladrina, this has been amazing. Um, we've gone on way too long, but um, wanted to thank you so much for what you do for coming on this podcast and taking the time to do so and sharing your thoughts and career. And um, we're really excited to see the rest of your journey and, and hope to have you back on. Uh, this has been really awesome. Yeah, thank thank you, Cam. Thank you, Gabe. It's it's been a pleasure. Let's do this again. Yes, thanks for coming on. It has been too long. And uh good luck at Pank PancakeCon. Um mm-hmm. yeah. And uh tell all the folks over at Cyber Reason, keep up the good work, which by the way, uh 
because I didn't do this earlier, as I try to I try to enforce this as much as we can. Uh, EPP endpoint protection response uh, EDR uh, endpoint detection response or EPP endpoint protection platform, right? Because uh, I have a bad habit of throwing around lots of acronyms, and as we've been blending security and privacy, I find folks are not equally as familiar with those terms on either side of the fence. We should probably throw up a glossary. I've actually made an internal one for the company. Maybe I'll share it externally also. But Ladrina, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a pleasure, an absolute blast. I'm fascinated. I'm glad to see someone like yourself working on the policy side. I find myself asking, well, why don't I do something like that? Why don't I stop talking about it and get more engaged? And then I remember why. And then I have to go back into my corner. But anyway, <laughs> I'm glad you're out there in those front lines. So thanks for coming on. I just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week and to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I know that there are millions of other shows and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend, have them tell their friends, and then make maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ... Can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week.